Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, so thanks for joining me on this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm here with Kirsty. Hey, Kirsty. Hey, again. <laughs> again, I know. We're in the middle of our competent coding series where we talk about various CPT codes that really we're talking more about CPT codes that motor therapists are going to build, OTs and PTs. And we're breaking them down, going through the definition and talking about why you do what you do and document it accordingly because it's important for us to stay knowledgeable on this topic, right? Right. And Hayden, you and I, were out in the clinic. We're working. We're working with new therapists. We're working with therapists with experience. And I think sometimes it's eye-opening to both them and us because we're like, well, why wouldn't you put it under that code or... Right. You know, and so we just start asking questions, and I think there's a lack of understanding. Sometimes there is a lack of understanding. And so I think it's easy to think, oh, well, gosh, everything goes under a therapeutic activity, but not necessarily because you always have to think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And so sometimes when you break it down, what you're doing and why you're doing it, then it's really not a therapeutic activity. It's something else. And I get really excited about 97112, which is what <laughs> we're talking about today. So today we're talking about 97112, which is neuromuscular reeducation. And so if you think about it, this really could be the Stephen Curry code. <laughs> well, and why am I thinking that? Because Stephen Curry is the best shooter in the NBA and his form is perfect. And so he makes all these shots. And so being a mom of three boys, well, four kids, but one's a girl and she's like, I don't have time for that. But the three boys that play basketball, you know, my husband has spent many, many hours in our driveway talking about shooting form. And so through the years, I've picked up a little bit that you do not want to have a chicken wing when you shoot free throw. You got to bring your elbow in and you also have to freeze your form and look at the back basket, not at the ball. So basically three of the boys were at hundred percent accuracy. All of them have this chicken wing thing they did where they stick their elbow out. And so all of them have had to learn how to shoot the free throw with their arm in and of course freeze their form. And so they actually have to do some muscle re-education, which is what this code is, right? So it's the Stephen Curry of codes. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so basically this one has to do with relearning right, Kirsty, relearning a way or reteaching the body to do something differently. It does, yeah. Right? And brain plasticity, and it's all neuro, and I love it. This is all, this is all <laughs> Kirstie's thing. So I have heard sometimes, because we both keep ourselves current on this billing and coding topic, among others. You know, we do regular education, continuing eds on all of this stuff. So I have heard on occasion where in pediatrics, sometimes people say, oh, well, there's some debate if pediatric therapists should use a neuromuscular re-education code, because how can you re-educate the body if a baby or child has never learned it? But I disagree for lots of reasons, but you're going to give us the real reason, the technical reason. I very much disagree with all of that. <laughs> if you think about a child's brain is very plastic, we have an opportunity to lay foundations and framework and rewire the brain. And I'll use a couple of examples. So we know children with Down syndrome are very, very low tone. And one of the common transitional movements that you'll see them do, children with Down syndrome primarily move and learn and work through the sagittal plane, meaning front to back. Their movement is all happening in the sagittal plane. They don't have a lot of rotary movement. They're not strengthened in that rotary movement, which 97112, strengthening in the transverse planes of movement is one of the categories that falls under that code. They move front to back. So when a child with Down syndrome or low tone is sitting, 
legs wide out because that gives them a nice wide base of support. Their primary method to get onto their belly to start crawling is not to rotate their trunk and go over their legs and beautifully rotate and transition into a quadruped position. Their primary movement pattern is let's go from that wide split. Let's lay our tummy all the way down on the floor and then let's rotate our legs back behind us. Kind of like the breaststroke. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like with their little legs, you know? Where they kick their feet up behind them? Yep. So if we as a PT are aware of that, we can lay the foundation and the framework for a proper rotational movement and a transition pattern by number one, making the parent aware of here's what's going to potentially happen. Here's where we want to be and where we want to end up with the transitional movement because we know what typical development looks like. So we can interfere and prevent some of these abnormal patterns and techniques from even coming to the forefront and stopping them before they start and then relaying that foundation for what we want to have happen. Mm -hmm. So we get an opportunity to intervene. So I kind of disagree with that altogether. Because you know that baby with Down syndrome is going to get back on their tummy because it's a lot of work to sit up and they're like, Uh you know, the heck with that. That they down. are going to go close to the ground as possible. <laughs> They're like, forget <laughs> it. Because um, you try to stop them. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to stop them. No, that makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you are having to re-educate the body. You are. Mm-hmm. Or take, for example, a child that's born with hemiplegia and one side of their body is affected. So that side of the body doesn't know typical wiring. It doesn't know typical Mm -hmm. movement patterns. There's reflexive patterns that have been ingrained from insult or injury. And now we as a PT come in or OT as well, come in and retrain that side of the brain, that wiring. And we're doing that through different techniques. And some of those are PNF patterns of movement. So you got to go back and you got to know your neuro to work in pediatrics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, you do. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay, well, you blew that out of the water, so there you go. (laughs) Pediatric therapists can bill the 97112. And And we should. You should be, yeah. yeah. If that's what you're doing, yes. Yeah, if that's what you're doing, exactly. So why don't we define this code to start with? I think this actually, of all of them, is the most interesting because I think it's the most, and I mean, as a speech therapist, I don't bill this, but I think it's the most interesting because I feel like you've got to really think about why you're doing and what you're doing. And to me, this has got, I don't know, I think the most interesting types of therapy happen sometimes in here. I think it's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, why don't you define it? So the 97112 is neuromuscular re-education of movement, balance, coordination, kinesthetic sense, posture, and proprioception. And we already talked about PNF, that proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. That's just an example. Using BAPS boards and BOSUs and different types of balance strategies, desensitization techniques. So if you have a child with impaired sensation, you have a child with spina bifida, you have a toe walker, maybe, mm-hmm. that they're not getting their full foot contact on the ground. And so now they've developed sensitivities to different textures, grass, sand, whatever the case may be. You might need to intervene with a 97112. So even though the original problem could have been maybe like a, a flexibility issue, but the, now it's turned into also now there's another problem. And I'm talking about the toe walker kiddo, where maybe started with a tight heel cord or whatever. Now they've also developed some sensitivities with that. So instead of just having tight heel cord, you've also got this sensitivity sensitivity going on. So that affects the kinesthetic sense. And it's also going to affect, of course, the posture and probably balance and coordination, right? All the everything. Well, when you talk about feet, it's everything up the it's chain. Everything. <laughs> so that makes sense. This also important probably to say that this 97112 is a timed code, meaning that it's built in 15 minute units. So you have to apply your 15 minute and eight minute rules to this code and all that good stuff. It's not an event code, it's a timed code. Let's talk through what therapy would look like if you're billing this code. 
So when we talk about neuromuscular re-education, just to kind of simplify it as much as possible, just kind of putting it out there in layman's terms, did Mm -hmm. you lay hands upon that child? If you are laying hands upon that child, I'm not saying to stop them from leaving the room or I'm talking about strictly to cue a movement, to stroke a muscle, to facilitate contraction, to guide a movement. Mm-hmm. You are cueing, you are re-educating a muscle. Sometimes we're working on posture and we're working on head control. I might stroke the paraspinals to get some cueing mm-hmm. of the paraspinal muscle to get some neck extension to look up. I may, if I'm working with an infant, stroke down on the pecs to get a chin tuck to initiate no head lag. So mm-hmm. like we're working on lifting the head up off the mat. So there's many, many reasons and rationale for using like cueing of the muscle, neuromuscular re-ed to get it to contract to facilitate that muscle for movement. You know, PTs, we're very used to using this 97112 code. I think sometimes where you get in more of a gray area is a lot of times with occupational therapy Mm -hmm. and they don't really understand the full extent with which this code can be used. So I think it's important to just say sometimes where you're working with a child, you're doing a seated activity where it could be a 97530 therapeutic activity, but you're having to cue their hands on how to pick up, how to grasp. You're facilitating facilitating that pincer grasp or mm-hmm. a tripod grasp. You're cueing from the elbow to cross midline. All of that is cueing and facilitation. So you have to ask yourself, is it really a 97530 or am I cueing and facilitating? Then I would probably be putting it under a 97112 because it's just more accurately descriptive of what you are doing as a skilled intervention. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about a lot of our little kiddos that we see that have a diagnosis of autism. When I see them, I almost describe their hands as kind of like flippers. There's very little definition in their hands. If you look at the palm of their hands, you know, they're kind of sort of flat. There's just not a lot of definition. And so a lot of times it's they don't really go to grip things and like pull things from one place to another, you know? And if you think about these little kiddos, their way they act and their body acts matches kind of their hands. They sort of, sometimes they're like little, they sort of flip from one thing to the other, but they're never like really get involved in anything. You know, these are kind of the periphery kids around the corner of the room, or they're just like, you know, all of a sudden they want to swing on the swing and the swing just appears. They don't go grab the swing or think, okay, the swing's over there. I need to grab it, pull it, to hook it up. You know, they're not thinking sequentially and like, how do you get this done and start an activity do an activity, end an activity. They're not thinking that way. So in that situation, you would sort of need to re-educate the hands into like, okay, let's grab the swing. Let's pull it. Let's lift it. Under neuromuscular read, it can fall eye-hand coordination. Mm, So if you're doing eye-hand coordination and you're doing ball play, writing activities, like again, asking yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? And if you're purpose is for eye-hand coordination and you're helping to facilitate and cue the movement, well, yeah, it's probably not an activity anymore. We're not swinging just to swing. No. I mean, maybe you're holding the swing to hold on. Maybe it's more proprioceptive or kinetics or Where's balance. Where's your body in space? And posture. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. I'll never forget when we were doing a bike camp one time and there was a little fellow there and he was diagnosed with autism and we were, you know, doing the bike with him and he was doing it and he was kind of holding on to the handlebars like his hands were on the handlebars, but I don't know if he was really holding on and the bike wobbled. Now we were holding on to him and he wasn't going to fall. He wasn't going to go anywhere. None of that stuff, but the bike wobbled and all of a sudden I just happened to be in a situation where I could see his face and he gripped the handlebars and the look on his face was like, oh, oh, like that's what these things are for kind of thing. And I thought, oh my gosh, he just learned something right then and he gripped those handlebars for dear life for the rest of the time he didn't cry he wasn't upset he loved it but that was definitely like a neuromuscular re-ed like his body was all of a sudden like oh 
I got to hold on to this thing. And that's what they're for. I've got to use my body in this way. And that's different than how I did it a second ago. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget that. The look on his face was like, oh, why didn't somebody tell me? And I think in that instance, again, a lot of people probably would put that under a therapeutic activity because you're thinking, oh, it's biking, but why are you doing what you're doing? Now, well, that was for him, totally balanced, and then also kinesthetic, Mm -hmm. I think, posture, all that stuff. We're talking about, again, about the OT thing. So sometimes I think in some insurances, they will not pay for the sensory code, you know, Mm -hmm. the code for sensory integration therapy. A lot of insurances will not pay for that. But I think if you break what the therapist is doing to address the sensory system, a lot of things can be addressed under this code. Well, there is desensitization. So Mm -hmm. if they are desensitization or if you don't have a tolerant, like they don't like to touch that, they, how are you going to get them to be able to tolerate that? Or, you know, I go back to feet because it's what you do. do you really can't help it. It's <laughs> you what know? you do. And if, again, if I have a toe walker, a lot of times children with autism can tend to toe walk. Well, they don't put their foot on the ground. They don't contact the ground. So they miss input, valuable input from the environment that tells them where their body is in space. Mm-hmm. It, you know, grass has a texture. Sand has a texture. The carpet has a different texture. Everything they're exposed to gives their body input, tells them where they are in space, gives them different sensations, and it gives them feedback. Well, if they don't have that, they're missing a huge component of just walking, living. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. For occupational therapy, the same thing applies, you know, and you see children with food aversions, Mm -hmm. you know, it sort of starts with that experiential play and different sensations sensations, different textures. Well, if they can't tolerate playing in it, I'm sure as heck they're not going to tolerate eating it. No, 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 (laughs) not usually. (laughs) So it can generally start there with that desensitization to tolerate. And I know this is not all about interventions, but a lot of times for those children with the feet, and if I start to see it in an infant very early, like you go and they won't bear weight, you go to put them down and they just pick up their feet. They don't put them down on the floor at all. Well, we start intervening very early. Mm -hmm. So even without a diagnosis, but if I start seeing some of those early, early signs, I'm like, okay, mom, every night when you wash at bath or clean up or how often do you bathe them? You know, I I start just drilling questions. Mm -hmm. Oh, we don't do a bath every night. We do it every other night. Okay. They're not in childcare. That makes sense. So every other night we do bath. Okay. I want you to get the baby washcloth, get one of your washcloths, get, give me like three different textures. And I want you to rub the bottoms of their feet when you're doing the soap and everything, just touch them with different textures. And then after you get out lotion and include their feet, get the bottoms of their feet, lotion, massage. So now we're getting exposure to different cessations as an infant, because we're trying to prevent that from happening down the road. Mm -hmm. I'm like trying to cue into potentially we could have a toe walker if we don't do something now. So I think You know, as a skilled professional, you have to kind of be on the lookout for all those things because, no, we don't prevent. That's not really our primary goal. But if in the process of treatment, you can prevent something happening down the road, and again, we don't have a crystal ball, but do it. It's not going to hurt anything. <laughs> yeah. So if we think about the whole kinesthetic sense, you know, when you think about like for sensory and a lot of our little kiddos, you know, and body awareness, sometimes they're also not necessarily like a, their body awareness affects like other things in their world and like how their behaviors affect other people and how they do, how that has an impact on the world. So I think the kinesthetic sense is a key component of this code because a lot of our kids you think about are under aroused or over aroused or maybe a combination of the two, all of that, in my opinion, 
fits into that whole kinesthetic sense. Well, not just my opinion, it does. Because your sense of body awareness, like if you're under aroused, then you're basically your body awareness and your awareness of the world is just less than if you're over aroused. Your sensory system is getting all keyed up with noise and lights and sound and activity. You're starting that heightened alert place versus if you're under aroused. So I think a lot of that, you're working on the kinesthetic system and the sense of the body and body awareness. To me, all that, all that sensory. You know, and I think what you're saying too kind of keys into if you have a child that, again, over aroused and you know, okay, the mom says every night I put them in the bathtub and it's like a free for all and there's, you know, there's like there's water all over the bathroom, like keep it in the tub, there's water everywhere. Well, maybe that's not what their body needs because now you're going to wind them down and put them to bed. Yeah, right. They're not going to bed for like two hours. You just wound them all up and there's water everywhere. (laughs) But maybe what they need then is, hey, let's do a shower in the morning. And that's a different input than play in water. The water hitting you from the spout is very different. So that to me is more of a desensitization too. And that's directly affecting arousal levels as well. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes considering that neuro state that they are in and adapting. It is neuro. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of, sort of. And I I love it. (laughs) Yeah, you do. You want Kirsten to start talking and talk for a long time, get her on this topic. And really, then you could just leave you and you start talking and you can come back and keep checking in. <laughs> I know. And I'm a strong thinker. You are a, you're a neuro geek. So you I am. Um, so I love you, just, it. you love it. Yeah. But it really is actually cool because it, if you start to break it down and think about it, it explains so much of the what and wherefore and why a child's doing. So to me, I think it's really cool because it helps you to understand kind of what they're doing. And so then you can sort of break it down and then start to problem solve and help mm-hmm. them get better. So that's why I think it's so cool, you know, because it's really like a little puzzle and nobody's exactly the same because it's neuro. So they come back and you tweak it and what worked and what didn't. And then it is. And I think that's the fun of what we do is honestly, if you always got it right every single time, it'd be kind of boring. No two are the same. No. But this also helps you explain and justify to your insurance company. If you're coding it correctly, helps you justify what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And then also makes you have to think each time why you're doing what you're doing and helps you to go back to your basics. I mean, I don't know how many times Kirsty on various podcasts, you said, go back to the basics. But this right here makes you think through all that, you know? Keep it simple. Yeah, keep it simple. Go back to your basics. Think about it, what you're doing, why you're doing it, you Mm -hmm. know? And don't just sort of, oh gosh, well, he can't, you know, he falls off the curb, you know, or he's never, he's always falling off curbs. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean there's a balance problem or a coordination problem at all. It could mean all kinds of things. Maybe he has a vision problem and there's a depth perception issue. It could be all kinds (laughs) of stuff. So it makes you think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. So if always just falling off the curb all the time and you think, oh, I'm just going to work on the balance theme, you may be missing the mark completely. So it makes you think about what's happening and why. And if you have a child that has difficulty with knowing where their body is in space, putting a weight vest on them is probably not the best thing to do because they already have trouble knowing where they are in space. And now you're going to add the the unpredictability (laughs) of added weight. And then all of a sudden, you know, then you're like, well, I'm just not sure why he's showing all these behaviors in therapy. Well, Well, he was already (laughs) falling all over himself before. And now you just upped it by 10 times. Like, I have no idea. What what could the issue be? I'm I'm baffled. And we're saying it kind of like a little tongue in cheek or whatever. Whatever, but we've all been there. We've all made those mistakes. Like, how do you learn? How do you get to the other side until you're like, Oh, I will never forget. I used to do this home visit with this little boy. He was the best thing ever. I loved it. And so I would start the session. He didn't like to stay in one place. You know, he was a pretty active little kid. Anyway, this is earlier way back. So I thought, okay, let me just do a lot of, because I probably had heard this somewhere. So I was like, oh, let me apply this to all my kids until I started realizing that doesn't work. You apply one new thing to everybody that doesn't work. So I thought, okay, let me do some deep pressure and let me, you know, bounce him on the ball. Let's do some really big movements, a deep pressure. And let me tell you something. When I got there, the kid was peeing off the walls. When I left, he was like all over the ceiling, like bing, 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 bing. 
tiny. And I'm like, why is it not working? Oopsie. What is happening? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, so deep pressure and big movement sometimes can cause our sensory system to get overexcited. It doesn't make everybody calm down. What? That's nutso, right? <laughs> but it took like a couple of sessions where the mom was like, and the mother never said this to me. She was fantastic. God bless her. But I would have probably said this to me like, what are you doing? Take him with you. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> and, so, and so like, oh my gosh, bless her soul. Because the mom was like eight months pregnant. Don't you know she was like to shoot me? Don't you know she wanted to shoot me? But finally, I finally figured it out. I'm like, oh, let's stop that and let's do something else. Now, I know I'm a speech therapist and I don't build this code. However, we probably all made that mistake. Well, and I think it's always kind of a red flag if a therapist says, oh, I always start on the swing, regardless of the child. Right. And I'm like, wait, what? Why? Who Does he need that? Yeah, because <laughs> not every kid's the same. No, and not every kid needs linear movement. Not every kid needs rotary movement. And some kids need to be upside down, but not everyone. I think it's really important to know the child that you're working with and tailor and meet the needs of that individual. So in this code, you're talking about moving in one plane of movement. So if you're working on getting a child to move in different planes of movement, this is where you go. This mm-hmm. to this type of code. And Could be. They're not going to do it on their own. So you're going to have to hands on to facilitate. So when in doubt, hands upon the child. It's probably a 97112. You have to ask yourself what you're doing and why. But then there's a lot of branches to this code, too, as mm-hmm. we've talked about, that you can go into the desensitization, the strengthening in different planes of movement, eye hand coordination. I think people don't think about that with this code. So, the purpose of today's podcast was really to cue you in on the different reasons for using a 97112. Because when you say strengthening, you might automatically think 97110, mm-hmm. but you're talking about strengthening in different planes of movement or re-education of the body and strengthening and all that mm-hmm. and coordination and balance. And There's that. a lot to this code. So again, it kind of goes, think about what you're doing and why, not yep. just, hey, I'm strengthening. And the argument that you can't use this in peds is... Bogus. Bogus. <laughs> we agree. When I heard that, I think it was just a statement like I've heard. Unhear it. <laughs> and use it. I was like, wait, we can not tell Kirsty that. She's going to fly all over that. <laughs> so, ways to get Kirsty on right now. has got a book. <laughs> I do, I do it, um, but I don't do it on purpose. Anyway, <laughs> that, that was great. That was really good insight. And I appreciate it. Thank you. That was good. And this is Competent Coding. So check out, we did a podcast. We've got other podcasts in this series. So check those out too. It's important to stay educated on your various codes, understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Kirsty said it, I said it. There you go. And bill appropriately. Bill appropriately and document appropriately too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sometimes in these movement codes, I think things can get a little more confusing. The gate training. Great. All right. So check out other podcasts we've done. We're up to a bunch of them. It's on the Working Therapist and there, we have tons of topics there. So check those out and we'll check you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 